Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms. By watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about the Broadway revival of The Sound of Music, specifically a performance from February 20th of 1998. This video is decently circulated with a handful of clips on the popular video sites. Uh, we mention this because while we review the show itself, we also share thoughts about the specific performance we've seen. The internet is your friend, darling. So without further ado, the curtain is now rising, and I can't face it. What is it you can't face? Please, <laughs> oh my god, I'm just, I'm just now realizing. Please enjoy our discussion <laughs> of the February 20th, 1998 performance of The Sound of Music. You walked right into it! <laughs> oh, come in. Hmm? Hey. Dan, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, take a seat. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting. Uh, oh, great. Uh, how have you been? Uh, great to know. Um, so, the reason I've called you in, these past few episodes, they've been going fantastic, and you know that I've been loving the work that we've been doing. You know that I think you're, you know, you've been a fantastic co-host throughout all these things. Uh, you know I love you. Oh, um, God, not on Valentine's just, Day. Don't do this to me on Valentine's I Day. I just think... I just think that maybe this isn't your time to be uh, a co-host right now. So we are. I'm. 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 I'm excommunicating you from the podcast. Um, what will it's my all fine, day though. I've, be I've... like? I wonder. <laughs> what were you saying? No, no, no. I was just gonna say it's all fine. Um, I've actually shipped you off. To um to a to a little Spotify retreatment home, uh until September. So you know you're gonna have a whole bunch of little baby uh, um I think I think Joe Rogan is preparing like eight new podcast spinoffs that you're gonna take care of. So like you're gonna be able to watch those for a couple months and then you can come back. Oh, Sound good? You get a fucking what lady. <laughs> Climb every mountain. That's not the right octave. <laughs> Sing it correctly. I know. <laughs> I absolutely refuse. Oh God. Okay. Hey, don't it's, strain yourself. It's there some days. Um, it's not there today. Some days it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the unauthorized critic circle. And today I think you should, um, you know, uh, clarify something for the listeners. Um, your co-host is, uh, uh, Dan, 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 you're Dan. And he is, um, not, uh, straight. <laughs> Jesus. True. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. I'm trying to reassure the audience who like my adult hey, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure that Dan is going anywhere. I think he's he's fine for now. Because if you tried to remove me, it wouldn't be the sound of music. And I am telling you, I'm not going. <laughs> so, 
Today's episode, we are talking about Carousel. the one. No. Oh. No, close. I mean, close. I suppose. No. But no. No, not close. You're wrong. Like, you don't like, suppose. Close enough. Like, like Rogers and Hammerstein. Well, but the difference is night and day. Right, but how how far apart were Carousel and Sound of Music? Uh, Carousel was forty two. Sound of Music was fifty nine. I don't do math, but that's okay, over so ten years. Probably. Um, we are talking about the Sound of Music, particularly the nineteen ninety eight Broadway revival, starring the inimitable, dearly beloved Rebecca Luker as uh, Maria, who we lost. And co-starring uh, just a few months and ago. And co-starring um, the lovely Jan Maxwell, who we also yes. lost. Oh wow! Did mm-hmm. we? She died. She left us several years ago. Do you think that's something to do with the show? Well, here's the interesting thing. This will come out much later for the audience, but as of right now, this is Valentine's Day. We're recording this. Um, within the last Valentine's. month, we lost. Um, we lost Rebecca Luker, who did the 98 revival. We lost Christopher Plummer, who did the Sound of Music movie. And we lost Gene uh-huh. Bayliss, who opened the original London company of Sound of Music. Oh, wow. Yep. Not a good month to have been in the Sound of Music. I've never been in it. Have you? <laughs> I have some friends. I should check in on them. The Sound so, of Music. Yeah. That's, oh. yeah. Music sound. Sound of Music is one of the most iconic stories of all time. How familiar were you with it? Let uh, you for, answer that first. Yeah. I will ask you that. You will answer that first. Um, sure. Joshua. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Didn't see okay, you. how are you? I, I, I am here. Um, you Good just job. look right past me all the time, and I'm getting really fucking sick of it. Oh, hey, Dan. <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, were yeah, you familiar up? with The Sound of Music? Yes, I was, though truthfully I had forgotten most of it by now. I had not seen Sound of Music since I was very, very little. You don't watch uh, it every I, year? No, I don't. I don't, unfortunately. I saw the movie when I was a way tiny kid, as everyone else did, and then I saw a uh, production that was in Toronto in at the end of the 20, at the end of the 2000s. I do, I do remember one of the only things I remember of being that production was the moment in which they were looking for like the Von Traps and the stage was empty and they were just yelling all around it and I believe there was a Nazi flag on stage and for some reason that seared itself into like the way back of my subconscious. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do that. Um, <laughs> how many times have you seen the movie? Like probably once. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. It's been and it's been a long, long, long time since I've seen it too. Seriously, Joshua, I don't mean this harshly, but do you hate musicals? No, I just haven't had the chance to revisit the classics. I'm trying to keep up with what's contemporary. Without knowing the classics, how do you know how to judge the contemporary? You must know your history before you can move forward. That is not the exact quote, but there's a very famous quote that's something along those lines. Those that don't learn their history well, are doomed but, to repeat it. There we go. That's it. Well, I was going to say that's a much better quote. I understand why that was famous. <laughs> How dare you? I'm very eloquent. Eloquent? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that on purpose? Yes, that is a reference to God. Back to the fact that if you had sucked a dick just once, you would understand so <laughs> many more of my references, and this would be such an easier podcast to record. Oh Christ Almighty! It's not yeah, even well, sexual. I, I just want to you to get my references. Well, well, fat to you, I say, fat. Yeah, and you constantly give me a headache and make me say oi. So, oi. So, oi to me, fat to you. Uh, had you seen Sound of Music by any chance? So, <laughs> um, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> no, I... that, 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 that felt like it was rooted within you. That was waiting to come out for a couple weeks now, maybe. <laughs> Truly came out of nowhere, but probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just repressed. I... Like my sexuality in my teens. Oh, <laughs> oh hey <laughs> I'm kidding. I came out when I was like 13. I've <laughs> been oh, sucking fun. dick for years. Anyway. Um, the Sound Congrats. of Music, a nice kids show. Uh, I, of course, yeah, sure. loved the movie. I had seen the movie many times. And uh-huh. um, I-, I need you to promise something to me. I can't, but go forward. I can't go forward unless you make a promise to me. I'm gonna... I'll, I'll, I'll attempt so hard. Hit me with it. I need you to promise that for the next week, you will not do any math. Okay. Do you promise? Yes. I... I will... I probably will not do math for the rest of the month, so you're safe. Okay, good. You, you need to promise. And all of the listeners, we're gonna give them a second. Do you promise... You have to, if you do not promise, you have to stop Turn listening the to the episode, episode off, right yeah. now. Right, like, if, this is interactive now. This is an immersive theatrical podcast. Clap your hands if you believe in fairies. Oh, are you saying it's an immersive podcast d'experience? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it came out muddled. I was too excited by the prospect to get it out correctly. Uh, so, the first show I ever saw in a theater was the national tour of this specific revival of The Sound of Music. Who's in that? Uh, it starred Richard Chamberlain. Do you know who he is? Ooh. Yes, I know that name. Uh, you, you don't really know who he is. He was in The Thorn Birds. If you've seen the the um, the miniseries The Thorn Birds, it was one of the biggest miniseries of all time. And one hell of a melodrama. He's a priest, and he falls in love with a young girl. And they have a romance that spans many different years. And Barbara Stanwyck is in it. And Barbara Stanwyck is perfect. And it's about Meggie and Drogita and... And Barbara Stanwyck's asking okay. about your vow of chastity. You ever abuse it? Anyway. And he's also uh, Tchaikovsky in Ken Russell's Tchaikovsky movie, The Music Lovers, which I think is one hell of a movie, personally. Uh, lots of Ken Russell touches, but one hell of a movie. And he was Dr. Kildare, which was a very famous TV series. Richard Chamberlain, uh. big deal. He played Captain Von uh-huh. Trapp in the tour I saw of this revival. And? and he replaced the guy that we saw here and did it on Broadway with Laura Benanti, who replaced Rebecca Luker. I would like I would like to hear Rebecca Luker's take. 
Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I would like you to did. hear Laura Benanti's take. Yeah. No. Well, no. I haven't heard Rebecca Luker's take. I've I've seen it. I uh, you know. You had your there was audio fingers as well, in but, your uh, ears. But I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's definitely something you want to do with a Rebecca Luker performance. Anyway. Mm-hmm. This revival of the sound of music was the first thing I have ever seen in a theater. And then I saw the recent Jack O'Brien tour. Yeah. And I saw both of the live TV versions. I, Ooh, I, I'm so sorry. Well, one of them was pretty good. You True. can draw your own conclusions there. I, I don't think the audience needs to. I think at this point it's pretty well known. No, the NBC one was pretty good. Minus Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Everything else besides Carrie Underwood was top-notch. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, the Fair London, enough. the London one bored me to bits. Just bored me to fucking bits. Oh, I did it. That's a shame. I, anyway, I know the sound of music very well. So, sound of music. Do you want to start with the "What's it all about?" question? <laughs> What's it all about? <laughs> this is a simple What's one. What's the deal? What's the deal with sound of music? Go. Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. Bam. Fair enough. Thanks. Tune in next week when we're going to be talking. <laughs> what do you think the sound of music is all about? No, 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 no. I want you to answer this one first this week. You, you. I, I did. I, I have to imagine. That's this literally what this show is about. Follow every rainbow till Follow... you find your dream. What do you think it's about? I think it's about climbing every mountain and fording every stream. Yeah, but climbing every mountain for why? To find your dream. That's Because she likes the mountains, and she loves mountains, and she goes sings about the mountains, and so that's the moral of the okay. story. Okay, well, let's start with the first question I have. Sure. Um, does it bug you that the ending of this show is geographically impossible? <laughs> like, I just sort of took it as like a, you know, oh... 1950s musical need to wrap it up in the next five minutes i took it for one of those you know so we're going to dispel a rumor here um oh yeah not a rumor we're going to do some hard news for a second they're in salzburg right the Uh festival's in salzburg the abbey is in salzburg and they're climbing the alps well the alps in salzburg are on the north. And if you climb the Alps in the north of Salzburg, on the other side, you will end in Germany and specifically Hitler's summer home. Oh. Mm-hmm. Whoops. Switzerland is way to the west. And it's a very, um, Austria is a very uh, horizontal country. They are in Salzburg. Right to the north of Salzburg is Germany. You would have to go many, many, many miles to get to Switzerland. So, in the end, when they are climbing the mountains at the end of the show, they're heading straight for Hitler's summer home. That's kind of hilarious. And when the real-life Maria Rayner saw the musical, her only response was, did anyone read a fucking map? Really? (laughs) Yes. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, no. Does this bug you? Now, kinda. Mm-hmm. You'd think... I, I, it's easy to assume the screenplay just said they walk into the mountains to their new life. But, like... Well, 
you know. And there's a whole line in the musical, uh, mine eyes look up to the mountains and whence cometh my help. It's a line from some Bible. I don't know. Not a Bible I've read. Uh, (laughs) And it's a whole plot point that they're climbing the mountains. They're going to climb over the Alps too. And then they really hammer that home in the movie that they are climbing the mountains. Well, if you're in Salzburg and you're climbing the Swiss Alps, you're heading towards Germany. Well, hey, some of us uh, are directionally challenged. The show. What did you think yeah, about the sound of music? At first, it was a it was a grapple with my interests. It started off very slow. I came to realize that the sound of music is a very slow show. I wasn't expecting it to be fast paced, but it very much takes its time. It's a very it starts off especially on a quiet, slow, like, molasses pace. Um, I don't think so. I don't know. Like, the first the first ten minutes or so felt like like a good 20. Well, it starts, um, with a, it starts with a choral overture, and then she's in the mountains, and that's your first ten minutes. And then, and, and then the ten minutes, and then that goes on to um, what should have been my favorite things. And then the song that they included for the movie. We'll talk um, about the changes. I have. Yeah. We'll talk in depth about a lot of the changes. Yeah, but like I like it started off slow for me, and I was like really trying to like keep my focus on it. But like as it carried on, I started to get more like sucked into the story. I started to realize the sort of that I I realized the beauty of it, and I realized how sweet and intimate the audience was allowed to get with the characters and i started to really feel for this family i started to really connect with them i started to really come to adore them and um i ended up uh, really appreciating the show okay it's uh, yeah that that was pretty much the thing for me it just felt like it was a a show that felt a lot not a lot slower than most but definitely slower and i and and it took a little bit of not getting used to but like you know once you settled into the rhythm you get more comfortable with it i i I feel all right uh yeah what do you think about the sound of music so here's the thing the sound of music is one of maybe two musicals that were originally stage musicals that were turned into a movie and that work better as a movie than they do as a stage musical. Yeah, you're you're not wrong about that. Works much better as a movie. The score, if not top shelf Rodgers and Hammerstein, is certainly one of their most memorable scores. And some yeah. of the material is definitely top shelf. But there's... Uh, Oscar Hammerstein was dying. The last show he wrote was Sound of Music. Um, right. He was very sick writing most of it. It's one of the few Rogers and Hammerstein shows where he did not write the book. Oscar Hammerstein mm. usually wrote both the lyrics and the book to the show. He didn't write the book to the Sound of Music. And he was dying during it. Some of the work is a little... Not his best. I don't think it's subpar, but it's not his best. It's not as shining as some of his other sets of lyrics. Yeah. Um, but the score is certainly their most memorable. 
or is it their most memorable because it's the one that people hear the most? That's a different discussion. That is something I, I, I think I realized. I think I actually, I think I maybe appreciated the songs I hadn't heard before a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And like I actually really, I thought I thought How Can Love Survive is a gr- was a great song. We'll get to that. That's one of my favorite songs in the score. That is the one I'm going to be singing three days from now. Ba da 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 ya da da ba ba ya da 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 ya da. And it is in the movie. They do uh-huh. not sing it in the movie, but there is a party, the party scene, and they're playing a waltz, and it's a different arrangement. Under- yeah. But the waltz that they are playing. Bum, ba da da, ya da da, bum bum. It's like bum, uh, it's like Hayraten in the the cabaret movie. Yeah, it's hidden and it's not anything that you would listen to really, but it is hidden in the movie. I, I think it's one of the best songs in the score. <laughs> Oscar Hammerstein w- was dying, and he died before the movie, so something good and i have confidence were both completely written by richard rogers yeah he did the music and the lyrics to those mm-hmm. um the book just isn't very good it, it, it functionally works the show itself is enjoyable i don't think it's the book of sound of music is high literature yeah, yeah there, 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 there are moments of it that i felt were pretty you know clunky at best yeah and as rogers and hammerstein took the musical theater form and turned musical comedy and not really plotted shows and operettas into the new musical play the sound of music feels very much operetta sound of music the actual stage show feels kind of regressive for everything that came before in their career not everything. Not me and Juliet. But that's... Me and Juliet was trying to be a musical comedy. Neither of them ended up very interested in that show. Sound of Music, of all their big hits, is the most regressive. There are yeah. Nazis on stage, but they don't really talk about politics. And most of their shows had some kind of political bent. There's not really a big theme issue. And some of that, I think, might come down to the fact that it's not Oscar Hammerstein writing the book. Yeah, so it it's, it doesn't have that. It it doesn't feel like it's rooted in the kind of stories they tell because it's not tr- it's not truly one of their stories. Oh, well, it's definitely. Look, King and I has kids. South Pacific has kids. This has kids. It has the hallmarks of a Rodgers and Hammerstein show. By the way, it so lacks... excited to talk about kid actors with you in this. So excited. It lacks a lot of the finesse of the other Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. And this is one of the conversations I wanted to have. Where does this fit in the larger Rodgers and Hammerstein canon? But before we can talk about that, I need to ask you. Yeah. And you know what's coming. I'm nervous. What Rodgers and Hammerstein shows have you seen? Ooh. Okay, let me pull up the discography. Shows that you have seen. Actually, you have... I've seen Cinderella. Okay, that was a TV thing. uh, I've seen Carousel. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of of course, I know a bunch of the songs. I know a lot of the songs from Oklahoma, uh, South Pacific, and The King and I. So placing the sound of music into the larger... Mm. Rogers and Hammerstein canon. 
I wouldn't put this on their top tier of shows. The no? movie is certainly probably the best movie of one of their musicals, but the book just lets it down, and there's some sloppy work from Oscar Hammerstein. But beyond that, it just doesn't have the bigger issue. It's well-written. or yeah. Overall, quibbles and issues aside, I would say more is well-written than not. But it doesn't take on a big issue like colonization, like The King and I. It doesn't take on a big issue like racism in South Pacific. Um, it doesn't take on domestic abuse like carousel it doesn't take on the very concept of statehood like oklahoma the big rogers and hammerstein shows are big issue shows the sound of music could be a big issue show but it seems like they don't want to work i mean hey to make it happen yeah you have nazis in the plot and and you're still not really saying anything politically within the show no that's sort of they're not well and, and 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 uh as listeners to our, of our podcast would know, we have had uh, intense discussions about shows that bring up topics that they are not necessarily equipped to address, um, which with, with the the deeply political and very uh, controversial musical, uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants musical. This show doesn't seem to be interested in having a conversation about Nazis. Yeah, it just it kind of it half engages, it half engages, but it's more effective. This is the real life time we are living in. These are the people around us. It feels incidental. It feels like it's just it just happens to be going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. They don't. It doesn't feel like it has any weight or consequence in the world at all. Which, if you um, were trying to do some kind of graduate thesis, you might say music is an expression of freedom. She's up on the hills. She's free from cultural pressures. They end up having to go back to the hills to be free of cultural pressures and issues surrounding them. But I don't. I don't think that's what they were going for ultimately. Yeah, that's a quite quite the stretch that's reading into it too much yeah theory yeah way too much i don't yeah that's not at all an impression i would have gotten from that even a little bit it's easy to bring up the parallels but i don't think that's what's intended i think this was intended to be an entertainment and the entertainment because of the historical time it took place in had nazis why am i not offended by this where i was offended by spongebob well because it's real life and the nazis are there and they do have to escape the nazis the nazis are seen as the bad guy and they don't i have... was going to say i could the, the one thing that i could like the one theory i had was that the fact that this is based on a true story and that they have like some sort of you know they have a responsibility to like genuinely paint this world they couldn't necessarily ignore the fact right that there were nazis in the area right. but they didn't think that was what the story was about well, and so they were like oh, okay well we're gonna and know. if you want historical fact they left months before the anschluss captain von trapp mm-hmm. was never told that he was going to be part of the navy they went to italy and went to london from italy and then went to america they had a very easy time getting out. They were not climbing over a mountain. 
And not, they were not climbing over a mountain in the opposite direction. And their house was taken over and was made the Nazi hub huh. in Austria. And they thought they were going to build a train station there and route people through the Von Trapp house. And that was going to be the Nazi hub in Austria. Um, oh boy. The fact that the house was seen as Nazi property and gold, that's accurate. But they got out early and they got out very easily. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So, yeah, they do have to have the Nazis in the show. They don't deal with them a lot. What got me, what I just. How is this happening? The beginning of Act 2 is just clumsy. So, Maria yeah. Maria comes back for the children and to see if she's really in love with this guy. They sing a song about Nazi apathy. Mm. Uh-huh. Which starts off with, like, insanely complex lyrics. I've saved this. You dear, attractive, dewy-eyed idealist. That's such a satisfying line. And it's the first line you have in the thing. It It's, like, disarming. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next line after that, you may be bent on doing deeds of daring do, but up against a shark, what can a herring do? Like, come on. That's, <laughs> that's great That's a line play. that just blows mm-hmm. me out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Although, do you get it? Did you have to look at the lyrics, or did you get it in real time? I did get it in real time, and I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Like, Good. like... Yeah, this is a little... And, and uh, I, I'll take this opportunity to also just mention one other lyric that came later on. I just get it on my system now. Uh, when you are poor, it is toujours l'amour. For l'amour, all the poor have leisure. <laughs> I also just love that a lot. <laughs> well, and the one lyric that Stephen Sondheim points to as Oscar Hammerstein's talent was in a waning phase to Stephen Sondheim is like a lark that is learning to pray. And his question then yeah. is, how do you tell a lark that's learning to pray from a lark that's actually praying? How does a lark actually learn to pray? <laughs> <laughs> and are well, you sure it's well, a lark, lark and not that, just a honestly. finch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which, anyway. It, it seems whimsical, the character's whimsical. That isn't a lyric that shakes my rankles or whatever. <laughs> shakes my rankle gets my hackles up i don't know i don't know what phrase i'm looking for here it's not coming to me oh gosh in the future just pass no (laughs) no i'll eventually find it let me stay for 10 minutes trying to figure shivers me timbers (laughs) but the beginning of act Maria comes back to see if she's in love with him she walks off stage we have the nazi apathy song the Baroness Elsa Schrader gets in a fight with Captain Von Trapp. Maria walks back on stage, and we're not entirely sure why she walks back on stage. Uh, Elsa Schrader calls off the engagement and leaves, and Captain Von Trapp gets engaged to Maria. This all happens within the course of an hour, in real time. Christ. At that pace... I would accept it if it's farce. This is not a farce. This is not trying to be a farce. But, and, it's and, a little and, and, bit... But that's the fact... The door's opening, the door's closing, who's coming out of here, who's going there. It's it's scatterbrained. But it, and, and yet it still doesn't feel like... that. It, like, it doesn't feel like it's moving along at a breakneck speed. It still feels like it's relatively slower paced during all that. 
Do you agree? Oh, it doesn't feel fast-paced, but the actual tracking of how many different actions happened within what yeah, had if you to look be at the it course on paper, of an actual hour. Absolutely, it, it blew felt my like... mind realizing afterward, realizing afterward that the scene immediately after it was like, oh, that they just got married? Like, mm-hmm. like it took me until after the thing to realize that that is what just happened. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, all right, that was nothing. It's just clumsy clumsy plotting it's a little we have too many different plot contrivances that have to happen in this scene so that we can get to the ending and yeah. that isn't something that necessarily happens with the other rogers and hammerstein shows mm-hmm. uh, there's another thing uh there's another line that just made me laugh captain von trapp and maria and the children go to the abbey to hide from the nazis and they take yeah. them out into the courtyard and <laughs> Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this. Mother Abbas <laughs> says, Oh, you'll be fine here in the courtyard. The Nazis have searched us three times. They only search inside. They never search outside. Really? <laughs> That's how you're justifying that? You're just saying the Nazis are lazy? The Nazis were many things. I don't know if they were really lazy. <laughs> There's just some clunky lines in the book. Yeah. And it feels very much like an operetta rather than a musical play. Mm, yeah all of the other rogers and hammerstein shows have a certain level of operetta to them but because of the big issues and because of the way they progress they feel like musical plays this feels like an operetta yeah and do you think that works with the material it works in the movie but in the movie you have all these great visuals and you have all of the scenic beauty and they do as a lot of people have said, the movie is very woodenly acted. I don't necessarily disagree, but they hammer home the emotional moments better. It's, it Ralph doesn't just come and room's clear and they move on. No, there's a whole confrontation. You're only a boy. <laughs> there's a whole scene and then they have to run from the Nazis and they got parts of the car ripped out. It just, there's more emotional resonance in the movie that I'm not seeing in the stage version. I don't think that's something that, uh, that's not a fault of the production, by the way. Uh I just think that's, I've seen multiple productions. None of the productions have completely made it. Kosher isn't the Mm. right word, but I want to go for kosher. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we talk about the changes? Sure. So Um, this production, really every production since the movie has changed the show to some level to make the show more like the movie. Well, I guess it's the same with Cabaret, no? I guess it's not really you can't poke too much of a stick at it, like uh, especially because you know that historical trend of if the movie does well, that's what just the version of it that people will know, and therefore that's what people want to get tickets to see. Nowadays, you can't get a ticket to Cabaret without wanting to hear maybe this time, you know. Well, Cabaret, they added a song and they changed out the money song. That yeah. doesn't feel like a major difference there were definitely book moments that were rewritten but they aren't repositioning songs this is repositioning songs this is removing songs that were in the original production yeah 
But just looking at the looking at the script, I actually think that most of on the most part done for the best. I don't necessarily agree. So anything in particular? Why don't we get into the specific changes? The first thing this production does is my favorite thing. My favorite things is normally the second song in the show. You have the Prejulum and Sound of Music, and then you have my favorite things. And my favorite things is sung between Maria and the Mother Abbess. Yeah. Here, it's moved to the storm scene with the kids where it is in the movie. And it's a nice song with the kids, but it leaves the Mother Abbess with little to do. Yeah. It makes her sending Maria away more cold. You don't get any kind of connection between those two characters. And then, since My Favorite Things was moved to the storm scene, the lonely goat herd, which was in the storm scene, now has to be moved elsewhere. And you see 10 different productions of The Sound of Music. You're probably going to see 10 different places for the Lonely Goat Herd. Mm-hmm. Here, they move it all the way to Act 2. They, they they move it like to the to the end of the show. There's a partial Lonely Goat Herd at the top of Act 2 as they're rehearsing for the festival. Uh, it really doesn't make sense there because it's a happy, jaunty song. And then two seconds later, the kids are all depressed. The hills are alive. When is Fräulein Maria coming back? Yeah, like when you were saying like the the, 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 the beginning of Act 2 felt clunky. That's what I think about. I just like... All of a sudden, it's just this. It's Max stumbling around, and they're all singing this random song that has no bearing on the anything plot-wise whatsoever. And you're just sitting there, and it goes that's, on for like two minutes. You're like, what's that's happening? normally not there. Yeah, the lonely goat herd is normally not there. They start. It is Max with the kids, but they're just apathetically singing a reprise yeah, of the you, sound just, of music. Just generally, I'm just thinking about like that 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 setting of like that you begin and it's just max stumbling around and the kids are singing a random song you know like like that's what that 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 was that always felt clumsy to me clumsy was the right word <clears throat> i feel yeah anyway and then we finally get the full lonely goat herd during the festival and i get why they move it to act two because if you do sound of music as originally written there are three songs in act two. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. No Way to Stop It, uh, Ordinary Couple, and Edelweiss. And there's a couple of reprises therein. Yeah. Now, that's actually typical for Rodgers and Hammerstein's show. You look at The King and I, there's 15 songs. I believe 10 of them happen in Act 1 and 5 of them happen in Act 2. All of the Rodgers and Hammerstein shows, you're not getting many songs in Act 2. They build you up to a certain point, and then they cut straight to the ending. They move the Lonely Goat Herd to Act 2 because it balances the acts more. That I can kind of understand. Having the kids sing this supremely silly song that was originally written to cheer up the kids, having them then sing that in front of three different Nazi flags... Mm-hmm. Feels bizarre. Did you get that feeling? Extremely. Like, I don't know. I keep drawing comparisons. I keep mentioning cabaret, but like, God, you know, 
50s, 60s musical set in Nazi-era Germany. You know, you're going to draw descriptions. It, it sort of felt a little bit like Tomorrow Belongs to Me. I'm like, is that the tone we should be doing? They're singing away while the world goes to hell? Is that what we're, the impression we're supposed to be getting? They're singing a jaunty tune in front of the most That's, hateful flag to ever exist? And that is the impression the Nazis would want to give the public, so... I guess, yeah, so. like, it isn't out of left field. I understand why the choice was made. I just, in, in the actual execution, I don't like it. It completely makes sense, and I just don't like it. <laughs> and then the, <sighs> the other major change here is that they cut ordinary couple. An ordinary couple is all we'll ever be. For all I want of living is to keep you close to me. And they put something right. good in that space. Yeah. They swap out songs there. I like ordinary couple. I'm probably one of the ten people that does. <laughs> that pretty much covers the changes that they make. Uh-huh. Mm. The biggest change from the movie, something that didn't port yeah. over from the movie that I really wanted that the movie gave you and just was not in the stage show. The scene, do you know what I'm about to say? No. Okay, everyone else knows what I'm about to say. The scene before Climb Every Mountain. In the movie, Julie Andrews cries, I can't do it. I can't face it. And the mother abbess replies, What is it you can't face? <laughs> I missed the cunt face. <laughs> Watch it back. What is it you can't face? I want to now. <laughs> Look it up, just that line. <laughs> there i just need to hear that line said in an eloquent accent that's all i need yeah it, it, i it's missing from the show it's unfortunate because it's the line everyone remembers from sound of music <laughs> do you God. have a, what are your other thoughts about the show i enjoyed it i had i i thought it was very pleasant i thought it was really lovely i loved how developed the relationships felt it felt like the relationships were rooted in stuff of course there was the you know the first two scenes of act two which sort of tarnished that but in the first act you really become close to these characters you really start to love them and you really start to you know it's hard to have a show with seven children in it and to be able to pick all of them out and distinctly remember them i enjoyed matilda i could tell you maybe two of the kids names the fact that I could look at, I, I, I could like remember in order from oldest to youngest what each of the kids' personalities Go ahead. Were, Go ahead. Says something. Go ahead. All right. I okay. Oldest one didn't need a governess. Second oldest, that was the boy who was, um, who, who was insecure about being a boy. Just under him was, um, oh God, what was her deal? I'll get back to her. Uh, under the daughter was another, the, the middle child, that was another boy. He was all uh, excitable and high energy and he loved wrestling. Oh, oh, the daughter before <laughs> that. Okay, the daughter before the middle child and the daughter after the middle child, they were both sort of like, no, no. 
That, no, sorry, the two kids after the middle child, they were, like, sort of partners in crime. They kept, like, uh, switching each other's names up. The older one, I believe, She's did the Louisa. prank with the toad I'm in the Brigitte. bed. Yes, 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 yes. I think the older one put the toads in the bed, and the younger one was, like, the really tiny, cute one who just, like, was really happy and loved things. And then the, the very tiny child was very tiny and lovable and adorable. You pay they too do good. much damn attention to the kids. It is... L- it is part of my life, Dan. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, it is but I you've been on for... record saying you don't like kid actors once they grow up because they lose their <laughs> talent. You used a single soundbite. God, you are uh. really angry. <laughs> um, Whatever. <laughs> some of my stray thoughts. The dialogue has more finesse in the movie in this scene, but the scene before 16 going on 17. In the stage show, Mm -hmm. Liesl is really dumb and not realizing that her Nazi boyfriend is a Nazi. (laughs) He's just parroting back all of the Nazi talking points. God, you think he's about to say, and the final solution is, and she still doesn't get it. (laughs) She still isn't putting the pieces together. And then in the stage show, Maria and the captain also sing a reprise of The Sound of Music. Um, huh? Yeah, that happened. You saw that. Yeah. The issue here is... I didn't know. Yeah. If he's harmonizing with Maria, and he never harmonizes with the Baroness Elsa Schrader, we see exactly where this is going. Like... It makes a lot of the other show predictable. That doesn't happen in the movie. That's a good choice because I'm sorry if the show's called The Sound of Music and it's all about music and two people are harmonizing and there's supposed to be a second couple who's not harmonizing. It's not going to go well for people that can't find the harmony. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Those are my thoughts. Overall... If I am ever sad and I put on the score of The Sound of Music, within three minutes I'm singing along and I'm happy. I will never be upset sitting watching a production of The Sound of Music unless Eva Van Hoover directs it and God knows what choices he'll make or if it's a really terrible production with untalented people. You put talented people on stage doing The Sound of Music, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice little pleasant thing. Let's move on to the production. Yeah. Why don't you take a minute to talk about the production you saw in person? Uh, I don't, I don't remember a thing of it. You don't remember anything? No, I don't. Okay. Do you know anything about it? No, I didn't see it. It didn't come to America. I I just want to talk about the Jack O'Brien production for a minute. Go ahead. I think that Jack O'Brien production has the same success rate overall as this production. I don't want to pit the two against each other. I think they were equally successful. The Jack O'Brien production had a master stroke in that the girl playing Maria, she opens the show, The Sound of Music, I go to the hills when my heart is lonely. And you realize this girl is really actually depressed. And Mm. then throughout the rest of the show, 
when I'm feeling sad, I think of a few of my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. All throughout the show, there's all of these lyrics talking about her being depressed. Yeah. And the performance of the girl I saw, I think Charlotte Maltby, she really presented someone I thought was potentially bipolar and who used music as a personal therapy. And then at the very end of the show, Climb Every Mountain, they all go up the hills. Maria is the last person to go up the hill. She turns back and she stands there for what seems like four fucking ever looking out fully crying i mean this girl was crying crying and you thought oh my god she could stay in the abbey she'll be fine she's the nazis aren't going to come after her the unknown is going up that hill with the captain and the children and creating a new life she could stay here and be fine And then at the very ending, the very last two bars, she turns around and starts going up the mountain. And then you realize, oh, the lyric isn't climb this mountain. The lyric is climb every mountain. Because the second you get to the bottom of a mountain, oftentimes, especially in the Swiss Alps, there's another fucking mountain right there. (laughs) You can't just climb one mountain. The mountains are the trials we face in life. And you have to face these trials. You have to climb every mountain. I thought that was a master stroke. There were other moments I didn't think were as successful. Again, overall, I think the success rate of that production is equal to the success rate of this production. But do you think Maria is bipolar? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And you know what? I'm not going to say that she is one, but... This character of Maria, it just, it faintly smacks of Manic Pixie Dream. Do you see it? I can Appears see where you would reach super that super randomly, conclusion. happens to be, happens to be perfect substitute mother in the interim, comes in, is like this magical perfect lady, she plays the guitar, she cares for all these children... All of a sudden, she's straight up acting like a mother, falls in love with the guy instantly, uh, makes up excuses for them when he stalls, like, um, but like, like, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, do you, well, she took a I'm vow not of chastity. That she, is. she was repressed. This was the first guy okay. that came along that was an option. Okay, fair enough, fair You enough. would fall in love. Yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, what, like, like, teaching kids to sing in an afternoon, you know? Uh, that happens in Rogers and Hammerstein shows. <laughs> Getting to know you. <laughs> true, 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 true. But still, you go. You do. Do you see I, where I might draw that yeah, conclusion? Yeah, I see okay, where you draw. Okay, okay, that's good for me. I don't think you're crazy for saying that. I don't 100 percent agree, but you reached that here's, conclusion. Here's, I think it's valid. Here's, and and you know what? I'll give this to Sound of Music's credit. Girl could not look after the Von Trapp family, but Maria could totally influence Guy's musical career. Oh, she would completely change his career. He'd be la 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 a lot more. <laughs> they'd they'd be putting yodeling into if uh, into satisfy me. What is it? if you want me? I think it's called. <laughs> if you want me, <laughs> I can't yodel clearly. Um. When your mind's made up. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so 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 this this production, what stood out to you? This production, visually, oh my god, is gorgeous. The design is just breathtaking. Those sets just looked terrific. You begin and there's the show curtain. And somehow they turned this curtain yeah. into a snow globe. Yeah, that was pretty lovely. I, I do have to say, before we start talking about the production, watching this was trippy as hell. Because I saw this production when I was a fetus. And <laughs> did you have to put in the AE there? Yes, I did. Okay. I was but a fetus. And there was a lot that I had remembered over the years. That I didn't completely remember accurately, it turns out. So, <laughs> I was seeing things that I either didn't remember that were actually registering as memory. And then there were memories that were being corrected in real time as I watched this. Very mm -hmm. trippy, trippy experience. <laughs> so. Yeah. We start the show, there's a beautiful snow globe show curtain, and that curtain was on the back of the playbill. I can tell you that right now, it was on the back of the oh, yeah. playbill that was something that stayed with me, and this really also shivers me ankles, or whatever the, the phrase I'm looking for is, still haven't Jesus. found it. <laughs> I have saved every playbill. I have lost maybe three over the course of my life. I do not have the playbill for this. And mm. it fucking tears me up inside. Can't find it. Lost it years ago. Years and years ago. Dang. Have everything else. Every other show, I still kept the playbill. I have the playbill for f everything. Everything. I've lost three in my life, and they were all from when I was a very young kid. This was one of the shows. I don't have the playbill. Angers me. That but that nuts. show curtain, I remember being on the back of the playbill. In the front was Richard Chamberlain and Maria looking at each other. Anyway. Beautiful show mm. curtain. Did you like the show curtain? Yeah, I thought it was a really lovely touch. I, 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 I had forgotten it by now, but I remember when I was watching it, I wanted to mention the fact of, like, was that just me or was that, like, a snow globe? Did you get snow blowed? Uh, yeah, yeah I thought it was gorgeous. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, of course. Um, Fantastic. Genius. And we mainly have one set piece once we get to the Von Trapp house. But it's a yeah. well-done set piece. And then the outlining, the bootleg, just because of the age of the bootleg, doesn't capture this very well. But there were pictures of mountains, beautiful paintings of mountains that surrounded oh, that. that. that would have been and was at the back. Could not be more impressed with this set design. What do you think of the set? I thought it was fine. It, in terms of the production, it felt like most of it was taking a backseat to the material. The set design, to me, didn't seem noteworthy. The The house set was, like, based on what I was, what I, I guess, was expecting, like, pretty small, pretty, like, under, underwhelming. Um, there isn't really, there weren't really any set pieces that stuck, that stood out to me. Until um, the second scene of the second act, where there's this insanely elaborate and eloquent uh, sequence where the Von Trapp house disappears and they're in for the wedding, and like this 
huge pillar of candles descend from the floor like a freaking Phantom of the Opera, and these gorgeous pillars come down, and it's like, it, it, it is genuinely one of the most gorgeous scene transitions I've ever seen in my life, and it comes out of absolutely nowhere, and it blew me away. Uh, that was something that, like, that was jaw-dropping to me. Otherwise, nothing else really stood out to me the, that in that way. It seemed so tastefully done. It seemed creative. Look, you can't put that entire house on stage. You look at other productions, the most people do is they put a staircase, a big staircase, and that's it. And this goes to serve better as a movie than it is on stage because you can have it's a piece that calls for major set pieces and major locations. You can do that if you have a movie. You can't really do that on stage. For the limitations yeah. of stage, I thought there were some really gorgeous settings, very tastefully made, great calculation of how much can you get across, how much can you not get across, how much space do you need to leave for imagination. And I thought really set the tone of the production. It did get a little greeting card, but this production was also produced by Hallmark, so... <laughs> <laughs> is that so? Yes, that is so. Oh, nuts. It was produced by Hallmark, so the fact that it looked a little greeting card, I think, is a feature rather than a bug. Fair enough. Let's get into the staging itself. So, sure. the nun's pregulum is ending, people are bowing, people are bowing, people are bowing as they go off, and all of a sudden, the postulant goes and bows, and there's only one of her. There's not two really visually effective way if you didn't hear where is Maria over the singing to establish Maria is missing. Sure. There was one thing I think was really just a good choice. How do Uh you solve a problem like Maria? Normally you have three nuns standing around just singing. There's not much visually happening. Here, the nuns are doing work. During that song. So that was one of the busier versions of that song? Yes. The nuns normally stand there and sing. That is busy. What I found so good and insightful about that moment is that, yeah, being a nun is a serious business. There's a lot of work that goes into being a nun. She's missing. She's not doing the work. She's not going to make a good nun. And it seemed like a choice that really rooted the show into the reality of this world. So I thought that was really strong. We did watch a preview. Yeah, (laughs) I know where you're going. Maria is told she's going to be leaving the Abbey. And the nun's desk goes to track off the stage. The set piece is a thing. It's on a track. This set piece got pulled and it immediately fell off the track and then out of nowhere you saw a stagehand run out and start pushing the set piece off and he was wearing a white t-shirt and blue jeans (laughs) which (laughs) shit happens i didn't mind it i found it charming yeah i agree what else did you what did you think of this production it felt respectful felt understated yeah it felt like a production that took a back seat in service of presenting the sound of music well 
how could you do the sound of music and have a production be the main I, I, and like I mentioned before, like I wasn't looking for like a very big showy. Like I'm, you know, I'm not asking you to fly down an entire Sunset Boulevard house from the wings. Yeah, like I'm not, you know, I'm not looking for extravagance in a production of The Sound of Music. But it just felt like everything was very static. Everything was very sort of like quiet and not too attention grabby. And I it, think that's you the know, show. Yeah, maybe. And I, I think, think that's the show. That, you couldn't remember a single detail credit, from the Andrew Lloyd Webber production. I, I remember nothing from my year of existence in that year. So it's not that on You that were four? How old were you? Seven, eight. I remember things when I was seven or eight. Congratulations. Um, when I was eight, what did I... I saw The Lion King. I remember every bit of The Lion King. Well, yeah, I guess the Lion King is huge and distinctive. Um, but, okay, well, if anything, to your credit, I suppose that um, in that case, the production sort of fit the show, and therefore I don't have many qualms. It wasn't reinventing the wheel? Not that, maybe it didn't need to. I don't think it needed to. But also, it's interesting to point out, we think of revivals that really recontextualize the show. That really was established with cabaret right right the, the and that's just sam mendez as a director uh, the idea that the revival the director puts their own spin on the material and it's radically different from the original that didn't exist for this production that was not something that was widespread that was not something that was believed cabaret really established that and cabaret opened the exact same year as this the cabaret and this revival of The Sound of Music were running at the exact right. same time. It was a big <laughs> year for Nazis on Broadway. <laughs> That's really funny. Very God. big year for Nazis on Broadway. This, I felt, was a really well put together production of The Sound of Music. And no, you're not yeah. ripping up the carpet. No, you're not changing things. They did change things, but to more not make that I'm it looking in line for. With the movie. I'm not looking for ripping up the carpet at all. You know, like uh, I should make it clear, I wasn't like disappointed by how like oh, it's the sound of music. I wanted not the sound of music. You know, like that's not at all what I'm what I'm on about. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it just it it it, it felt like. It, it was it wasn't the most exciting it, it, it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world but I thought it was perfectly charming perfectly acceptable charming I will call it that charming yeah it's a nice little quiet thing you go but see the show does... you leave it and you're like oh that's what a lovely show that is that's you know tourists are coming to see the sound of music and I don't think you would have left disappointed yeah all right I'll, and... I'll concede there it it looks like a lot of care went into this. The it's hard giving kids choreography. I thought all the kids choreography really excelled. Uh, my favorite things. Yeah, I agree. Really visually exploded at the end of that number. That was some great choreography. Um, I did like the moment with the blanket. That was a that was a key yeah. Moment. It had yeah. it had moments. They exploded of like stuff like that. I was 
Yeah. It, it visually exploded and they all came back to the bed with the blanket. It, nice visual journey throughout that song. They and it's did... stuff like that that I wish could have carried on. Like, specifically that. Like, you know, not that, you know, there has to be a locomotive running stage left to stage right, but, you know, to, 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 to have things going on in your staging, I suppose, you know, to, like, keep your actors busy and dynamic rather than than times where they will just sit and speak. Well, given the text, what would you do? I don't know the text well enough yet to be able to, like, really point to a moment and go, like, oh, I, here's how I changed this, here's how I staged this. I, I can just point to moments that I liked and I wish there were more of. I know there was a moment where, um, where, like, um, it's Maria grabbing the the food off the plate while and then Elsa walks in on her like moment uh, that that was a moment that I really enjoyed that was enjoyed. a great moment the, that was a nice yeah, I love funny that. bit the blanket bit in my favorite things uh, oh the choreo the, the little the little uh da 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 da, da moment in uh do re mi uh, where she like sort of like reaches way high no, like where she reaches super high with her hand, and then like all the kids do the same in their choreo. Oh yeah, no, it's... that like just moments like that, you know, sort of things like that. I think could have helped ki- make it feel maybe a bit more alive. Hmm. I don't know. That's that. Uh, maybe I'm just maybe maybe I'm going to Lawrence Connery with it all. See, this is why you need to see the other Rogers and Hammerstein pro shots, so you're not just going back to the Cameron Macintosh book of references. <laughs> you need more references, kid. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Um, All right. I don't know. They did a new vocal arrangement at the end of Do Re Mi, so she hit the high note, and also th- it felt more in line with choral singing in austria at the time that was nice they did a new interesting dance arrangement at the end end of 1617 i felt like you could see a lot of work and a lot of care went into this production everyone that worked on it seemed to really care about the material which i appreciated is it the most exciting thing no have I seen a production of The Sound of Music on stage be more successful? No. I've seen other tours. I've seen multiple regional productions. I don't think it's the most interesting stage show to watch. And mm. all productions, to an extent, have been static. Well, I guess then in that case, that really comes down to the material. Huh? So, not much to point a stick at. Shake a stick at. Shake. Shake a stick. <laughs> Shake point, I'm not old enough to... Put your stick away. Anyway. (laughs) Other Uh, notes I had. Anything else to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jan Maxwell, in the party scene in Act 1, comes out in a kind of champagne skin-colored dress that's backless, and I thought, oh my god. She's already in her Follies gown. That is exactly the (laughs) costume she wore when she was in Follies. (laughs) Oh, Pretty wow. much the sparkly, nude-colored backless gown that just had the strings at the top, or the straps at the top. Pretty much exactly what she wore in Follies decades Nuts. later. Do you have other notes about the production? Anything that stuck out to you? Uh, no, that's pretty much all for me. So in that case, how about we go on to talking about these performances? Sure. So I'd like to start with um, the Mother Abbess, played by the remarkably beloved Patty Kohenauer. 
I guess you're more familiar with like the substance of her role in most productions. Do you think that there's like enough to really be able to grade her off as 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 you can with any other mother abbess? Here's the thing. We'll get to that in a second. The first thing I want to point out, we got Patty Cohenauer and Rebecca Luker in the same scene and I thought, okay, how many Christines are on stage? I, was, I started yeah, looking I through the cast say. list. How many Christines are on stage? And here's the thing. When Phantom opened, Sarah Brightman was the full-time Christine, Patty Cohenauer was the alternate, and yes. Rebecca Luker was the understudy. <laughs> Usually, you get some kind of age differential, and the Mother Abbess sings the old man wisdom song with Climb Every Mountain. There is no age differentiation between these two. They are contemporaries of each other. Which feels odd, but they both perform well, so you don't really care about it that much. Mm. Mother Abbas doesn't have my favorite things in this production. Yeah. She's not given much to do. You don't do that, and I, there was a London revival with Petula Clark and June Braunhill, who was a previous Maria in Australia, but the London revival with Petula Clark, she was the mother abbess. They did also take my favorite things away there, but then they turned A Bell is No Bell Till You Bring It, which is from the 16 going on 17 reprise in Act 2. They moved that to right before Climb Every Mountain and turned that into a big song and a big vocal showcase for June Braunhill. They don't give Patty Cohenauer much to do here. Yeah. And when she does have to do something, she does it very well, but there's just not much that she could possibly do with what is left of the role. Shame. Shame. What did you think of her? Again, you didn't think to pay much attention to her until Climb Every Mountain comes on. As, like, as someone who, you know, isn't familiar with Abbas's part in My Favorite Things, th- that character is not on your mind. Uh, they do an inciting mm-hmm. incident, they have a little moment here and there, and then you get to Climb Every Mountain, and and, it, and it's and it's, a, it's jaw-dropping. It is a spectacular mm-hmm. performance of that song. It is brilliance and you're really sitting there like wow she's got one song like like, her voice was immaculate absolutely astounding like wow that's one of the clearest soprano performances i've ever heard in my life an incredible three four minutes of theater was that number and then otherwise she was there, and she she was she she's a nun. She's playing a nun. Nuns don't have a huge range of emotions. She was sweet. She was nice. Oh, nuns don't Phenomenal have a huge voice. range of emotions. Someone's never watched Doubt. I I have I have watched Doubt. Okay, one of those nuns. One of the nuns has a. You can't say Sister Aloysius has a range of emotions. Sister Aloysius has one emotion. No, because at the very end, she has such doubts. There's a range. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I forgot about the line that she says. (laughs) And also, she should be showing a range with the scene with Donald's mother. That can't be 
I'll go get him, knock him up. She chooses that, but that is a journey that she goes on over that scene with Donald's mother. We watched Doubt this week, everybody. What'd you think? Who did it? (laughs) Uh, So, Patty Conar, immaculate. Give her more to do, please. Give her more to do. She was great. Okay, from there, let's move on. I say let's move on to Elsa. You want to move on to Elsa Schrader? The Baroness Elsa Schrader. Played by Jan Maxwell. Dearly Departed. One of the coolest names in showbiz. Jan Maxwell is great in this part. She's just great. She knows how to find a laugh in every single line. The audience isn't always yeah. at the same pace as her, so they don't always laugh, but I was cracking up. Um, what was the one? <laughs> I, she's talking to the children. I don't know your names, but it doesn't really yeah. matter. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she played... She was fully cognizant of when she needed to escalate like this niceness and when she needed to escalate this sort of rude cattiness and when she needed to escalate this ignorance, you know, she was really fantastic at adjusting those levels whenever mm-hmm. needed. And I will say this for I her. I really love that. Um, you watch the movie and it's clear the Baroness is not interested in the children at all. This Baroness can kind of be interested in the children and knows that's a part of the deal. She's just isn't very yeah. good with the children. And she tries, but yeah. she's just not good at all. And there's I just such comedy there. And I do think that's more effective too. Um, but what is more effective is you put Eleanor Parker in those costumes in the movie and you just clutch your pearls if you're me. Because she looks terrific. <laughs> um, but here it's just a more believable human being. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree, and I, I I think it it it's more interesting that way. She's just it's, hopelessly it, it, lost. Yeah, you because because it it allows you to actually get some investment for the character. If you come in and you see that she's cold to the children, you're like, oh god, this is just it's like uh, the anti Mary Poppins, like uh, you know, gross. We don't feel we don't get attached to this character. We hate them. This is the antagonist because they hate the children that we love. Here the line's a bit blurred. No, Jane Maxwell, it was just great in this. Great in everything. And she sings great because we both walked out saying, How Could Love Survive? One of the best songs of the show. (laughs) Don't know. (laughs) I'm going to be singing that one for days. Good good performance. Very good performance. Mm. Knocked out of the park. Okay. I'm not going to address anyone under the age of 18 in this production. Um, well, let's talk about the, the kids as a whole. We won't signal anybody out. Sure. I feel like... Sure, 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 sure. Great. Um, the younger the kids got, the more annoying they got. I disagree. Of course you do. I thought Go they ahead. were... All, it was a solid ensemble altogether. Holy cow. It, it's they were talented find... kids, but the younger they got, I... My patience as the kids got younger wore a little thin. I didn't see any of the of the standard flubs, that tricks that they fall into. I thought... You know, every now and then you'll think, oh, okay, there's that one kid who genuinely doesn't totally know what's going on. I didn't see that here. <laughs> they all seem like they were they were doing what they're doing. No, no but you know what I mean. You, I you completely know it, what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we yeah, got that in once. Happens. We got that in once. That, that kid didn't know what the hell was going on. 
That person went, okay, run to this part of the stage right now, and that's what you do for your show. No, like, although I found some of the younger kids a little grating. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they were very professional, and they all seemed talented. Yeah, I thought it was a gen- I, I thought it was a great ensemble. Really well put together. They all worked together, like, harmoniously, and I thought that was also really neat. Mm-hmm. They seemed like a family unit. Yeah, I loved I loved this family. I loved them, and they and they all genuinely felt endearing. I cared about all of them. Eh, Gretel. Fuck you, heartless. <laughs> it's always Gretel. No, I thought this Gretel was fine, but you go to Productions of Sound of Music, it's always fucking Gretel. Yeah, okay. Screwing everything I can, up I can for everybody. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Anyway, that pretty much clears it up except for our two leads, does it not? Yep. You want to go ahead? So in that case, why don't we get to talking about our Captain Georg von Trapp, uh, played by Michael Saberi. He was a very gruff Captain von Trapp. Yeah, he was very, very stern, aggressive, authoritative. Which yeah, is the part, Daddy? You know, um, mm-hmm. Daddy. How I wanted to see if you catch it. Is all. <laughs> well, I just said uh, Daddy, I, didn't I? <laughs> I catch everything. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, Including gonorrhea. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! <laughs> Come for the bootleg, stay for the chats, folks. Um. So, um, Michael Saberi was very, very, you know, put up a lot of walls. He, um, where I mentioned that, um, you know, Elsa and Max sort of had more depth to them, more layers than just the flat out, like, caricaturistic portrayals. Uh, I think that he definitely went with, like, the more straightforward ahead, like, rude and rough on paper doesn't necessarily contain multitudes approach. And I think it worked. I genuinely think it worked. What was um, the one line? Let me... What did you think? So, there's um, j- there's one... It's the Lindler scene. And he just... No! That's wrong, Kurt! Let me show you how to do the Lindler! <laughs> that's the... That's... <laughs> it's a dance. It's not that serious. <laughs> oh, God... Oh, Lord, Lord that Almighty. That is not how you do the Lin. <laughs> okay, sorry. He's your kid. You were the one that did <laughs> You didn't teach him the famous Austrian folk dances. It's really Punch him in the throat. <laughs> um, you I stupid bitch! <laughs> <laughs> that was to Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> He was he was very gruff. Um, he did warm decently. I, I I thought he was fine. I didn't think he was anything special. That's also a very hard part to do much with without having a close up on you on camera. Because to go from screaming at Maria 
to joining in on a reprise of The Sound of Music. That's not an easy transition for anybody. And you really need a camera right there marking several beat changes, several internal changes that are not written in the script at all. I'm so angry at you. I go to the hills. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was good. He was fine. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I th- again, I, he, he it didn't off the bat contain those multitudes the others did. I think that actually sort of helped the portrayal because it, it, the character does seem like a character who would live in extremes, you know? You know, someone who's so rooted in discipline and so strict would probably be rooted in such in you know, that kind of harshness only to have it just like shattered all of a sudden, which I think is lovely. Mhm. And it really it made it feel way more impactful as well when he was softened. It made it feel way more impactful. Yeah, just a thorough understanding, well sung. Uh, the romantic stuff, I didn't totally buy from him, but otherwise I thought it was a great portrayal. Well, and Richard Chamberlain, who was the replacement, was 57, 58. And Laura Benanti hey. was maybe 19 by that point. <laughs> yeah, those were some hot action love scenes. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all I have to say about uh, Michael Saberi. You got anything else that you want to say? Nope, let's move on. Alright then, let's talk about uh, the reason we're here, which is uh, Rebecca Luker. Unfortunately, not the happiest reason, but... But 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 if it's something that will result in us paying tribute to the beautiful career of a truly sublime performer, then at least it is for as good a reason as that. What did you think? At first it took me a little while to warm up to her. This was the first time I've ever watched a Rebecca Luker performance. I'd heard her in the Secret Garden soundtrack. Um, the what? Hadn't. The Secret Garden soundtrack. The what? Cast recording. Sorry. My bad. I'm not editing that out. I'm shaming you publicly on that one. I know. I know. They caught me in 4K. I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen and other. You disappointed uh, Mandy Patinkin. I know. You made him feel blue, 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 blue. That was the stupidest joke you've ever made. That was the stupidest joke. <laughs> You're not going to cross this out either, are you? No. That's a good one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Calm down. Fuck. Oh, oh. oh that was a good one. No, it was objectively was not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. You're going to love it. You're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, that was a good one. I'll I'll cry. I'll cry before I do that. (laughs) Get those tears rolling, because that was a quick one. That was a good one. Anyway, Rebecca Luker. In The Sound of Music, it took me a while to warm up to her. This was the first time I'd seen her performance. 
And I think around the time that we had got to, I have to say, probably Doremi, I just started to fall in love with her. There's not a single shred of artifice in that performance. There's really nothing performative about her portrayal. You watch that and you and the impression you get is God, Rebecca Luker must be such a sweet person. She she makes it feel as though she is just showing you herself. And it's so lovely to watch and it's so beautiful and it's so endearing. It just bowled me over the the genuineness and the sweetness and the kindness and the pure empathy and delight that she portrayed. It was glorious. What do you have to say? I fell in love from the moment she walked on stage in this because mm-hmm. the voice is the perfect match for this material. The perfect style of soprano the perfect weight to the voice perfect phrasing i keep using the word perfect but her singing this material is pretty textbook perfect she feels at home you could say this material was written for her and i wouldn't doubt it it wasn't written for her it was written for mary martin who was very much an alto but mm. <laughs> you know it just seems like this is how this material had to have always been sung which is putting your own stamp on a roll and then beyond just the score she presented a more nervous maria than a feisty maria you get some of the other people they're more feisty argumentative she wasn't she was someone who was deeply unsure of her place in the world Mm -hmm. that became her character journey her arc and 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 it and it, it just works with the other portrayals mm-hmm. in the film, like in, in, in tapping into those more genuine depictions of these characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in portraying them more as like realistic people that contain, I, I've used contain multitudes before, but it works, so I'll just use it again. Um, you know, that just, they're more than just, um, that one aspect of themselves. And some of the other things I noticed, uh, this Maria, she didn't talk down to the kids at all. You know, she didn't speak to them like they were kids. She met them at their level and showed them respect so they could respect her back, which I think was a lovely dynamic because sometimes you get a little too precious and that's what leads the show into being saccharine. They avoided that by just, this is a woman who is able to understand where these kids are mentally, emotionally, and she's able to just come down to their level. And then that scene before Climb Every Mountain, and she just started crying, it felt real. That's something that can easily feel actressy put upon. No, it felt real. It felt like this was a woman who deeply did not understand her place in the world did not understand her ability to be an individual, which I've talked about exceptional individualism in musical theater. And this was a performance of someone going on that journey. It was just a great performance. It was lovely. It was so lovely and 
just pristine, you know? Pristine. It's so talented. And again, you, you said it, but it is something that just comes naturally. Whatever it is she does, that's not something that you can learn. <laughs> you can learn technique, vocal technique behind singing, but you can't learn authenticity. And this is someone who is constantly authentic. A big loss. She just seemed like someone who was growing, learning, and was really going to give us interesting things as a performer, and the life was cut way too short. The loss is still just so raw. It's one of those few sincerely irreplaceable presences. Yeah, that's just Rebecca Luker as a performer. That's her. That's just her. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this performance in particular? As long as the show is, you want the <laughs> you want to give her another three numbers just so that you can sit there and luxuriate in the experience. Right. Uh-huh. Immaculate. Just immaculate. Right. So, I suppose that concludes the performances. Yep, and now on to the um, bootleg itself. Uh, do you have anything you want to say in particular? I usually start off with it, and I want to know if you have anything to start off with. Um, there's a bar at the bottom of the screen. You don't really miss anything. It doesn't go for a lot of close-ups, but it cap perfectly captures everything on stage. Not a single thing missed. There's a lot of spotlight washout, but that's typical of the time. I didn't find any flaws. Yeah, um, the filming of it was very good. I, I, it suffers a lot from generation loss, uh, which, we, which, as we all know, is just the process of copying videos over and over and over again until more and more quality is lost from it. Um, the, the sound was super faint. Uh, it seemed to be shot well, though from a bit of an extreme angle. Mm, mm-mm. Not I was not angle. Sorry, no. uh, like extreme. Like it was very stage, stage left, stage right. But did you think you One were missing anything on the other side of the stage? No, in terms no, in terms of a capture, it's uh, like, like extreme thought, angle like, to me of... was the once that we just watched. That's an extreme angle. This I didn't. I couldn't really yeah. think that it's on that much of an angle. Yeah, uh, I I. I thought it was shot very well. There wasn't anything I missed from the production. I definitely wasn't about to say like, oh, you missed this and this. I didn't feel like I got... I doubt, I totally felt like I got the full experience. Um, it, for me, it just felt a little uh, difficulty to to watch. Not Not like straight up difficult, but just sort of like, you know, with the sort of audio hum and sort of how the quality had reduced. I have reduced. the same audio problems um, as you. I, I found myself fluctuating with it a whole bunch. I, I tried a couple different headphones. It, there were a couple of lines uh, it wasn't that like got the worst. missed, but... It was just the faint fuzz in the background, like the little din that you get when you're like recording back VHSs. Uh, that kind of thing sort of impeded me. That's nothing I can criticize towards the video itself, but it just with, with this copy that we have, it sort of uh, bothered me. And so with this copy being the one that would be like circulated... I guess I would give it like. I, as a video, I'd grade it like an A minus, 
And then as a viewing experience, I'd give it like a B plus. Okay. That's what I'll say. Yeah, the video itself, the age is the age. There are some issues that just exist with practically old bootlegs of the age. I'd give that an A. Um, what you're going to end up with nowadays, yeah, it's probably an A-. Mm-hmm. They don't go for a lot of close-ups, but you don't miss anything that happens on stage, and you don't feel like the video is extremely far. Yeah. So, right. overall... A decent bootleg of a solid production of a solid work of musical theater with some great performances. Yes. It's not life-changing, but for a matinee at the theater, you can't really do better. True. I, um, I enjoyed the video. I did. So, yeah, I'd give this one a decent recommend. If if for nothing else, then for the phenomenal performances. Mm Mm-hmm. And seeing Rebecca Luker um, in her element. Yeah. Above anything else. That. Right then. That's the sound of music. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this and discussion. Next week, while we're still in Europe. Mm-hmm. Might as well pop over to the Grand Hotel. In Berlin, we are be in Germany, we are climbing the mountains and ending up geographically in the correct location. We are tracking their path. I think that's very admirable of us. We are, although we're going we back several years. This is before the Nazis yeah, took over let's Germany. Let's not split hairs. Let's not split hairs. Grand um, Hotel in we, Berlin. We directed and choreographed by take it away 10 time tony winner tommy toon oh good uh, i trained you well um of course of course i'd also like to say now that uh me and dan haven't discussed this but we are going to be watching uh the video from the broadway production recorded on october 17th 1989 which was its first preview we have an apprehension towards previews on this podcast, and typically we don't go into a date without first researching if it's generally accessible. It is not only the only video that has Michael Jeter, it is the only video that has David Carroll. It is the one that we're going to watch. And they are both also no longer with us. We're really... God, we are just stop. We are hitting every stop on the, on the mortuary train, aren't we? Not every stop. There's a lot more dead people to cover. God, there are more dead people? <laughs> this isn't. For what? We can't. So, next week. So, next we'll, week. We'll raise a glass to together the... to the Grand Hotel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Join us next week when we talk about the Broadway production of Grand Hotel from October 17th of 1989. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critics Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The sound of music. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critics Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute the recordings discussed herein.